You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. I'm going to take you to, you know what, if you don't love the Word of God, you get to have to explain to me why. It's fascinating. This passage tonight, chapter 27 of Genesis, you have got the most dysfunctional family you'll ever come across. And it's interesting how God puts it right there up front in his word. Uh, In the mornings, a lot of times when I'm up early, I will go through and read the headlines. I'll I'll read the Jerusalem Post. I'll read, sometimes if I've just lost my mind, I'll, I'll read the New York Times. I'll look at the cover of that. I'll look at why is a good question. Um, uh, I love to read the headlines on the British newspaper. I want you to listen to an article that was in the Guardian. I believe it was today that it came out. Just just listen to this because it sets up Genesis 27 really well. Prince Andrew, you know what's been going on with him, has always been his mother's favorite child. And the defiant message from Buckingham Palace on Monday as the dust settled on Andrew's disastrous BBC interview was that he retained the full confidence of the monarch. That's mama's baby. A senior royal source told the Evening Standard his royal highness has the backing of the queen. Uh, They believe in him totally and think he has shown strength for telling the truth and admitting errors he has made. There's no question of him being ordered to reduce his duties. He wants to get on with his job. He's told the truth in detail. Careful briefing on how Andrew spoke to Queen to the Queen at the church service on Sunday, describing the interview as a great success. To demonstrate her nonchalance, she kept calm and carried on with a horseback ride after church in Windsor Great Park. However, one person who was less likely to accept Andrew's position and his spin over the interview was Andrew's fraternal woe, Prince Charles, who touched down Monday morning in New Zealand for a royal tour. Charles's jealous streak is well known. One friend of the family told the Daily Beast, I can't imagine he'll be anything less than absolutely bloody furious about all of this. Charles does not want to inherit a crown that has been tarnished or scratched or dented by a fresh round of scat. Now, he's one to talk, isn't he? (laughs) Once he is king, he most likely is going to read Andrew the riot act, if he hasn't already, strip him of his duties and responsibilities, put him under the royal equivalent of house arrest, which means a life of unlimited luxury. I wish they'd put me under house arrest. Unlimited luxury and pomp, of course, but under the reign of Charles III, the Duke of York's freedom to pursue his personal appetites will be completely curtailed. Now that is Genesis 27 right there. You've got Charles and Andrew. You've got the Queen Mother. You're going to come here to Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, and then you've got Isaac to boot. Here you go. Genesis chapter 27, it's as if God opens the door on this house and he shows you what's going on on the inside. And it is, in all honesty, I'm not making light of it, it is perhaps one of the saddest chapters in all the word of God. Uh, 
Uh, when you come to this, we read it, and uh, you know the story very well. But what you come to is this. You come to a weak man who has surrendered his spiritual leadership to a bitter wife and woman who is determined to rule that situation, and you come to two boys who are extremely unstable. Now, that's the family. Uh, and the, the interesting thing is, this is God's family. Uh, and you're going to see, if you want to talk about authenticity and transparency, boy, the Lord, it, it just amazes me how the Lord just puts all of this stuff up here, out front, all of this rivalry, all of this resentment. And let me tell you, this family didn't get this way overnight. This has been an ongoing process. I'll bring out some of it, but this has been an ongoing process, um, and uh, it's happened over the process of time through several different events. Now, this is basically, as best I can tell, a snapshot, a 24-hour period. Y'all remember the, was it Keith or Sutherland that was in 24? Y'all remember that? Because I used to have people come to me on Sunday nights and say, the preacher, don't preach over. We've got to get home to see 24. That's when I was preaching Sunday nights. Well, here's 24. You can almost see the clock just clicking off in this chapter. This is just a 24-hour snapshot in the life of this family. And uh, you're going to see how it just really kind of falls apart. So stick with me. I hope you've got a copy of God's Word. And let me pick it up now with Isaac, who resigns his spiritual leadership. That came about when Isaac was old. Now, he's about 137 in this chapter. As most commentators tell us, they think he's around 137 years old here. He has somewhere around 43 years to live. He's going to live to be 180. He thinks he's dying in this chapter, but he's not. He's got another 43 years. He lives to be older than his father, Abraham, and he, I think he outlives Jacob as well and Esau. So he lives longer than those on either side of him. But here in verse 1, he is convinced he is dying. Now, you, you need to mark and pick up what's about to be said here because it gives you an insight into his spiritual life. It came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see. Now, that's going to replay throughout this chapter. You're going to come back to that several times. He's blind. He's lost his sight. And it's almost as if the Holy Spirit through that is saying, this is far deeper than a physical condition. This is his spiritual condition. He's now living in spiritual darkness. The thing is this. Do you remember last week uh, we got him off of the edge? You remember um, Isaac was down there on the edge of Gerar and total paganism. He's walking that thin line. He's walking that edge. And uh, strife comes into his life. Frustration comes into his life. Opposition comes into his life. Uh, and then he moves. He, he, he's going to move to a place called Beersheba, where Abraham had lived before, where Abraham had worshipped and had lived. And so he's going to come there, and it's there God's going to speak to him. God appears to him. Now, that's an amazing thought. God appears to this guy. 
He appears to Isaac and he speaks to him and he gives him this promise back in chapter 26, verse 24. So verse 25, he builds an altar. He worships in that place. Now that's kind of where we left him. He's there worshiping, but now chapter 27, years have passed. Things have changed. He's gotten away from the worship of God. Uh, He's gotten away from uh, coming to the altar. He's gotten away from living for the Lord the way you see him there toward the end of chapter 26. Now chapter 27, all of that is in years gone by. And now he's going to show just the spiritual darkness of his life. Listen, do you realize that Isaac at one point was a type of Christ in the Old Testament? This is, this is what can happen to a guy. This is what can happen to a man, a husband, a dad, when he relinquishes spiritual leadership in the home. It is, it's, it's just a picture that he has moved spiritually in his inner life, that he's gotten away from the things of God in his inner life. Well, why does he do it? Because he becomes, in short, very self-centered. So watch with me now as I pick it back up in the middle of verse 1. He called his older son Esau. Now, you know he favored Esau. Rebekah favors Jacob. So they've got this thing of playing favorites in the home. That never works well. I, I just... I just read to you the first line in the, in the, it's either the evening standard or the daily guardian, whichever it is in, uh, in the British, uh, tabloids, papers. Uh, the very first line was Andrew is his mother's favorite. All the others, you know, his brother Edward, his brother Charles and his sister Anne, they all knew that growing up. Well, here they're playing favorites and that never works out well at all. He called his older son to him and said to him, my son. And he said to him, here I am. Now what he's going to do is this. He wants something for himself, but he thinks he's dying and he's going to give him the blessing and the birthright. Now God's already spoken about that. Put your finger there in chapter 27. Go back to chapter 25. Do you remember when God spoke to Rebecca? She comes to the Lord in prayer about what's going on in her womb. These two boys are just fighting it out in her womb. And she she goes to the Lord in prayer. Isaac has prayed for her. Uh, He's taught her basically how to pray. Now she prays. And she wants to know, Lord, what's going on here? And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Now, there it is. God's told her. Now, you and I may have to struggle over that. But I can tell you, they knew immediately what that meant. That meant that the younger son would get the birthright. Now, Isaac is so far away from the Lord at this point in time in his life that he says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm the man here. I'm going to determine this. I'll give that birthright to whoever I want to give that birthright to. And it doesn't make any any difference what God said back then. This is what I'm going to do now. I know what's best. I know what I need to do. I know who this boy is. His brother is, is, he's not strong like this boy. He's not as outgoing. He's not out in the field. He's not a big hunter. 
Uh, he's not a big game guy like this boy. This boy's manly. This boy's got hair all over him. This boy is a man's man. I'm going to give the blessing to him. And that's what he's doing here. But now watch in the midst of all of this. Isaac said, behold now, I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. Now then, please take your, your gear, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game. Now just watch the personal pronouns here. For me, there's one right there. Prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love. Bring it to me, that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Do you catch all of that? Me, 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 I, I, I. That's all that Isaac is consumed with is about himself. It's all that he's interested in is himself. When I was going through this chapter, let me just, let me just give you what I found in here. This is a guy who lives for his own appetites. He's driven by his own appetites. He's driven by his own comforts. As I read this, I counted in the New American Standard Bible, um, the word savory meat was used six times. Venison or game was used six times. Eating was used seven times. Somewhere between 19 and 20 or more times, the reference is made to this in a way that keeps pointing back to Isaac and his appetite. And to me, it's just simply a way that the Holy Spirit shows us by his physical appetite that the Holy Spirit is saying to us, this guy is driven by a self-centered desire for his own self. That all he's, The only reason he's interested in Esau is because of what Esau can do for him. He's not interested in Jacob at all because Jacob can't do anything for him. And so here's a man who had followed the Lord at one point in his life, and then he slipped away. We're not told. We don't know what happened between chapter 26 and chapter 27, but somehow, someway, he slips away, he falls away, he gets away from the worship of God, and he becomes wrapped up in his own appetites, his own self, and he's now just living in absolute spiritual darkness, and he's going, to, he's going to do exactly the opposite of what God had already told him he wanted them to do. Now, that can happen with men. We're going to look at Rebecca in just a second, but let me tell you something. There's something about men, and there's something about the fall, and there's something about Genesis 3 that let me tell you something. Men will jettison their spiritual responsibility in a heartbeat. It is part of the effect of the fall on the male that we will give that responsibility away. We will pass that responsibility off. We will not stand like we should. It is part of what has happened to us in the fall. It's part of our human nature. It's part of our flesh. That's why we have to fight. We have to work. We have to keep check. We have to examine ourselves. That's why we need to be in the word every day. That's why we need to be a part of the fellowship of God's people. That's why men need other men in their lives to help hold them accountable. And men will fight that tooth and nail. Amen? Yes, we will. 
But we need it. We desperately need it. So now there's Isaac, and he resigns his spiritual leadership. Rebecca now, we come to in verse 5, Rebecca is one who's going to rule relentlessly. She's going to dominate this whole situation. It's kind of interesting. The first four verses are one uh, pericope. Now verse 5, beginning with uh, the first word. Look at the, look at the word right there, the noun right there. Rebecca, it begins with her. These next couple of verses just deal with her. Now, when we're first introduced to Rebecca, I, I just told you that Isaac was a type of Christ. I, I made mention to that. You remember when Abraham took him up on Mount Moriah? Here's the father about to sacrifice the son. It's a picture of the New Testament. However, Abraham is stopped. Isaac, there is, some, there is something. There's a ram that's going to take his place. But it's pointing to a greater father and a greater son that one day that father will sacrifice that son and nobody's going to stop. And there's not going to be a sacrifice to take the place of the son. The son will give his life. So in that sense, well, Rebecca, if you remember back when Eliezer goes for her, I shared with you, Eliezer is almost a type of the Holy Spirit that he goes to find a bride for the son of the father. Rebecca comes out to the well. Um, She is kind. She is hospitable. She is thoughtful. She is considerate. Uh, She comes up to Eliezer and says, listen, I'll get you water and I'll water your camels for you. And that was the answer to his prayer. And so that's how he knew this was the girl. He goes home with her. He tells them the whole story of his master and the master's son and how he's there to get a bride. And they say, well, you know, stay with us for a while. And he says, no, 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 I can't do that. I've got to get her and I've got to get back. Let's let her decide. And she becomes almost a perfect picture of, a, of how a person responds to the Holy Spirit and says, I will come to the son. I will come to the father's son, and I will marry him. So she starts off. She's a beautiful woman. She's pretty. Uh, She is kind. She's thoughtful. She's considerate. She's everything that you would want in a woman. But now watch what has happened here. Let me just read you the opening line, the opening verse here, chapter uh, chapter 27, verse 5. Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau, period. She's at the door now. uh, nobody trusts anybody in this family. She She doesn't trust Isaac. Isaac doesn't trust her. And I can tell you, Jacob doesn't trust uh, Esau. Esau doesn't trust Jacob. This is a home. This home is so dysfunctional and so messed up. There's nothing but suspicion here, manipulation here, deception here, trickery here. It is all of that. Now, there was a time when they were in love. There was a time when they loved each other. They cared for each other. Jacob wept. You remember when Eliezer brought her home and he just stood there and he cried. He cried because he couldn't believe that a good-looking woman would have anything to do with him. He cried. He wept. They were in love. They had a child. He prayed for her. Just looked at that. He basically taught her how to pray. What in the world happened? I'm going to tell you. In my library, I have... Uh, a a multi-volume set called Brunson's Book of Suppositions. And in volume two of that book that I have, 
The supposition is this all goes back to the issue at Gerar when he looked at her when they went down there and he said, he followed in his father's footsteps and he said, you lie to them and tell them you're my sister. I think it had an impact on her. I think Rebecca in that moment lost a lot of respect for Isaac. Abraham had done this twice to Sarah. I'm going to come to that in a minute. In fact, Abraham went beyond that. Um, When Sarah said, take Hagar, have a child by her, he did that. There's that. You've you've got compounded situations with Abraham, but Abraham kind of fares better through this than Isaac and and Rebekah do. I think that in that moment, she lost a lot of respect for Isaac. I think she got bitter. I think she got angry. I think she had reason to. Um, I don't think she could work through it. And uh, I think out of that, she determined this guy really doesn't care about me. I think he turned off the affection somewhere in the relationship The affection died. He no longer expressed his love and his affection for her. I go back and I read this one statement that just screams at me from the text. Prepare a savory dish for me such as I love. I think he was so in love with himself, so centered on himself, so absorbed with himself that he had cut off all the affection with his wife And I think she was angry. I think she was hurt. I think she had lost respect. I think she was bitter. And I think she comes in and she lets all of that now drive her to what she's going to do. Now, I want to just stop right there and I want to to speculate on something else. She never knew Sarah. She never knew her mother-in-law. She never knew Sarah And Sarah had dealt with this, not once, but she had dealt with it twice. And as I said, she also dealt with the fact that Abraham had a child by Hagar, even though she said, do it. He had no business doing it. I'm going to take you to 1 Peter chapter 3. Put your finger back there in the 27th chapter of Genesis and go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, Peter is talking about the husband-wife relationship. I'm going to jump into the middle of that in verse 5. And I want you just to listen to this. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also. Now, this is a reference back to Sarah. Peter is calling Sarah holy. She was a holy woman. She did trust in the Lord. She might have laughed at what God had said, but if you go back and look at that, What she was laughing at more than anything else is that being 89 years of age and him being 90 years of age, she was, well, really, they were older than that by that time, that both of them up in their 90s, she was laughing at the fact that the two of them were going to act like they were on their honeymoon. That's as far as I can go with that. But if you go back and you look at that, that's what she's laughing at. It's not that she disbelieved God. It's that she found it funny, and I do too, but I'll move on. 
For in this way, in former times, the holy women, reference to Sarah, that's, you'll see this, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And by the way, I'm not going to get off on this thing of submission, but I want to tell you what, no woman is ever told to be submissive to anybody but her own husband. Okay, I'll just leave that there, but I'm telling you what Scripture says. Verse 6, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. In other words, you don't fear what happens in that relationship because you're trusting God in that marriage relationship, you see. Now, how in the world did Sarah deal with that? Let me give you two things. Let me, let me address Abraham first. I honestly think that Abraham kept pouring into that relationship, and I think it's clear Isaac had cut the relationship off. That's number one. The bigger thing is this. I think Sarah trusted the Lord. Now, ladies, listen to me carefully. I, don't, I rarely speak to the ladies like this, but I'm going to. Ladies, at some point, I can almost assure you that in your marriage, you're going to lose some respect for your husband. Nothing matters more to a husband than that he have the respect of his wife. That's why Paul says, husbands love your wives, wives honor your husband. There's a difference there. A man wants his wife to honor him. She wants him, he wants her to respect him. And there are going to be times in a relationship where, where you're going to lose a little bit of respect for that husband. He's going to do something. He's going to fail to do something. And, and you'll lose some of that respect for him. I think Sarah did that with Abraham. But this is what she did. She relied on God to help restore the respect she had for Abraham. You'll have to do that. Rebecca doesn't do that. You don't have any sense of that here. That she turns to the Lord in all of this, even though she knows God's will. You don't have any sense that she turns to the Lord in any of this. Sarah makes it through. She is commended constantly in the New Testament that she's the example for a woman to follow. And it's because she took, now, I just have to say this. Ladies, there is something about you and the fall in the female that will, that will drive you to dominate. Just as there is, a, there is something in the fall that causes a man to want to be lazy. And I'll, I'll give that over. I'll give these issues over. I'll give the raising of the kids over to you. I'll give all the spiritual issue over to you. I'll give all this other stuff over to you. And there's something that happened in the fall that caused a man to do that and caused a woman to be the other way. Now, women have an inner strength, I'm telling you, that a man doesn't have. There's something about it. Uh, there is something about women who have a constitution and an inner strength and an ability 
to push on when, when, when men, big strapping men, do not. So ladies, do what Sarah did. Allow God to guide that inner strength you have. Don't rip out the last little bit of spine he's got. But let God, let God lead that inner strength you have to come beside that man and build up in him a strength that will enable him to lead. Now, I'm telling you, my wife's not here. But I could not do what I do or have done the things I've done had I not had the strength of a woman who came and built into my life and did not rip me down. But she built into me. She used her strength to enforce. Do you understand? People in court do this thing called irreconcilable differences. Do you realize that's what God uses to bring you together? We are different. I don't cut my grass at my house. She does yard work. I'm not going to do it. But I mop the floor. Now, y'all can laugh, but I'm telling you, doesn't bother me. I have no idea. If I signed a check, the bank would laugh me out of the lobby because they've never seen my signature on anything. It's all hers. She's strong in this, and I'm weak in that. And those, those differences are the things that bond us together. And ladies, you have a strength, an inner strength that I can't really explain. Use that to help build your husband into the spiritual man that God's called him to be. Now, Rebecca didn't do that. Sarah, I sense in reading, did that for Abraham. What Rebecca's going to do is Rebecca is sitting outside this door and she listens and she hears this and she's going to turn around. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau saying, bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Do you see that? I'm commanding you. By this time, uh, Jacob was in his 50s at least. <laughs> I did what my little old itty-bitty mama ever told me to do in, before she died uh, in her 80s. If she told me, I did it. I did it. And that's exactly what Jacob is going to do. He, she said, I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Now, what she was doing was this. She was essentially saying, old man, I'm going to beat you at your own game. Now, that's what she's going to do. And she's going to do it. She's going to do it. And you say, but wait a minute, preacher. Didn't you say that the younger was supposed to overrule? Didn't God tell her that? Yes, God told her that, but let me tell you something. God's will done man's way never has God's blessing. 
It must be God's will done God's way. Then you get God's blessing. She's not going to do that. And it's going to be disastrous. I don't have a clock in the, and the thing's not on back there. But uh, I'm trying to judge, am I going to get to these boys or not? Well, here, 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 here she is. She says, you go do this for me. You get out there and you get this done. Because I'm going to beat your daddy at his own game. Boy, what a horrible situation to set up. For one parent to deceive the other mate in front of the kid, you know, and the kid's going to be a part of it. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. By the end of this day, she will have beat Isaac at his own game. She will have taught her son how to lie to his own dad, and he's going to do that. She, he's going to get the birthright. He will have gained the birthright. She would have taught him how to be unscrupulous. She would have been a picture. He's a picture of how not to have a marriage relationship. And I'm telling you, it's all messed up in Jacob's life as well. But by the end of the day, she's less than 24 hours away. She'll never see this boy again. It doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. Well, let me get to the two boys if I've got time to start there. The two boys, you've got number three, you've got these unstable siblings. Spiritually unstable. Now, here you've got Esau and you've got Jacob. Isaac and Rebekah at this point are a mess. Good night. Esau and Jacob now are a mess. So let's go first and look at the unscrupulous Jacob. And it's through Jacob now that the Messiah is going to come. You can't forget this. This is one messed up family. He is as unscrupulous as he can possibly be. Verse 11, look at this. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I'll bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and he got them. Brought him to his mother, and his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. Now, that's the second time that word's used there. You see what he loves? You see who he loves? Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck, she also gave the savory food, the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. And he came to his father and he said to his father, now watch, there are three things that are going to happen here. The first is he's going to lie to his dad. My father, and he said, Akira, am I, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, here's the first lie right here. Watch, there are four of them. I am Esau, number one. Number two, your son, your firstborn. Number three, I have done as you told me. Number four, get up, please, sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. Now, there are four lies right there in one verse to his dad. Boy, once you start telling lies, they just roll, don't they? They just, they just come. Now, watch. Here's the second thing. The second thing is almost unbelievable. He's going to involve the name of God in his lie. 
Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have so quickly taken the game? He said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. The Jiminy Cricket. That's kind of scary. Isaac said to Jacob, come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, now look at this. This is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. You, you, you sound like a Christian, but boy, you sure do act like something else. Huh? You, you, you talk a good game, but boy, I sure don't see any of that in your life. I don't feel any of that on you. I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't feel any of that. He didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. He said, bring it to me. I'll eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. And he also brought with him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. Now he's going to betray him with a kiss. Does that sound like anything to you? Do you? Listen. Is this stuff not fascinating? So he came close and he kissed him and he smelled him and he smelled his garments. And he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the abundance of grain and new wine and may people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down, bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you. Blessed be those who bless you. You, 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 you smell like the right thing, but you, you still, gosh. But here's the blessing and he gives him the blessing. There's the, that's the unscrupulous boy that comes out of this whole family mess up. Now look at the unrepentant son. You got another boy who's never going to repent. It came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac that his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his honey. Now Esau comes in. And as Esau comes in, he's going to want the blessing. He made some savory food. He brought it to his father and he said to his father, let my father rise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Now watch verse 32 because there are old commentators who say this is the moment of turn for Isaac. In fact, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you what is, what is said out of, out of this. Um, I'm going to read, I'm going to read you something about this this whole thing right here. Isaac, his father said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently. Do you see that? That's interesting in the, in the Hebrew. He trembled with a great trembling. I think in the King James say that he trembled with a great trembling. Here he trembled violently. I want you to listen. The, in the, 
the King James says he trembled exceedingly. In the Schofield, it says he trembled with a great trembling greatly. Uh, in the translation of the Net Bible put out by Dallas Theological Seminary, there you go, Barry. Isaac trembled with a great trembling to excess. The verb trembled is joined by a cognate accusative, which is modified by an objective great and a prepositional phrase to excess. All of that is emphatic, showing the violence of Isaac's reaction to the news. So that little statement right there, unless you bear down and think about it, you're going to miss it. He stood there and he shook till he was about to shake himself apart. Now, a lot of the older commentaries will tell you that's the turning point for Isaac. Esau never turns. I'm going to take you to, to Hebrews chapter 12. There's a statement there about Esau. I want you just to listen to it. Um, verse 15. Or let me start it in verse 14. That's the pericope right there. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For, e, for, you, for you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Now, that's what, that's what you're about to read, is what the writer of Hebrews says right there. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance. He wouldn't repent. He refused to repent. Though he sought for it with tears, he's going to cry. He's going to squeeze. This big old man is going to begin to cry. Esau heard the words of his father, and back in chapter 27, verse 34, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. But there's no repentance here in his life. With an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and he said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And he said, Is it not rightly named, is he not rightly named Jacob Grasper? For he has supplanted me, he has grasped, he has grabbed what was mine two times. He's taken away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Don't I get a blessing, Dad? And Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine, I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing? He asked him this again. Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. So he lifted up his voice and he wept. And Isaac, the father, answered him and said, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. Your sword shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge from Jacob from that day because of the blessing which his father blessed him with. And it goes on from there. You can read the rest when you get home tonight. But what you're seeing is this. Let me tell you something about the, the old, just popped in my head, about Hebrews and words. Well, why can't they take, you say, now, this is what we think. Well, why can't you take that back? Why can't he say, hey, I was deceived. You messed me up here. I'm going to reverse this. You don't get the blessing. I'm giving the blessing to him. Why can't he do that? Now, here's the mindset of the Old Testament Hebrew. 
Words lived. What, what, is, what do you read in the New Testament? That the Word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. They believed that words lived. And that once you spoke a word, it went out, it didn't die, it continued on. It lived. It had some kind of power. So that once you spoke a blessing like this, you couldn't say, oh, oh, I made a mistake. I've got to, I've got to reverse this. I've got to change this. Now, if you'll remember that, that will help you as you read the Old Testament to understand some things that take place through the Old Testament that you'll think, well, wait a minute. That just All he's got to do is just reverse that. Just call the other boy back in there, wear him out, and say, I'm going to do this. He can't do that because once a word is spoken, it goes out. And it has a life. It lives. It's living. And so that's what they believed about words. That's what they believed about this was done. There was nothing they could do. Now, did Isaac turn? I'm hard on Isaac, I know. I think he did. I told you, Rebecca is going to demand that Jacob go. Rebecca, verse 46, I'm tired of living because of the daughter. I'm tired of my daughter-in-laws. <laughs> That's what it was. She says, if Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be? So Isaac called Jacob. Now listen, and he blesses him again. And he charged him, and he said, you can't take a wife from the daughter. Now he moves back to taking the leadership and doing what a husband and a daddy should do. He moves back to making the right spiritual decisions. And he's doing this for Rebecca. This is what's heavy on heart. Let me take care of it, honey, for you. Let me take care of this. I know this hurts you. I know this is a struggle for you. I'm going to take care of it. And Isaac, in chapter 28, the first couple, four verses there, he takes care of it. He says, you go. This is where you go. This is what you do. And you get away. And you better get away because your brother's going to kill you. And what does, what does Esau do in all of this? He does what a, what a child in rebellion does. He finds out what makes his mom and dad hurt. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. So what does he do? He goes out and marries some more of them. Here endeth the lesson. That's a dysfunctional, messed up family out of which Messiah is going to come. That's the good news right there, is that out of the messes we make, God can do something good with it. I'm glad Isaac ends back up. He dies in chapter 35, by the way. Um, but... It's good to end with Isaac standing back up and taking somewhat of a leadership role. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.